It's good to have everybody here this morning. Um, my name is Joe Davis, one of the pastors here, and uh, we're continuing with our series on 2 Corinthians. For those of you that are new to Grace Life, we try to keep all of our sermons, uh, with, with some exceptions, but mostly they're focused around books of the Bible, going chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And we're continuing in our series on 2 Corinthians, uh, which will be done here in just a few weeks. I know it's been uh, 13 years we've been in 2 Corinthians. Actually, it's been like 24 weeks, almost half a year we've gone through this with a couple of breaks here and there. Uh, this week, the name of the sermon is The Gift of Weakness, and it's kind of uh, counterintuitive, but Paul does an amazing job today in this passage talking about this idea because here's what I see. I think the world teaches us to promote and to trumpet our strength and successes, and that it also conversely teaches us to hide and mask our weaknesses and our failures. Because the weaknesses and failures, they are considered, frankly, our vulnerabilities, the areas that we must protect because that's where we might be attacked. And we are constantly being pulled into this stupid, silly game in every area of our lives, even in our ministry. Promote our strengths, hide our weaknesses. Promote our strength, hide our weaknesses. But what happens is when we are given the gift of faith, that enables us to begin to celebrate our weaknesses and see them as a gift that forces reliance on grace. And this is what Paul expresses in the passage we're looking at today. Remember, the the context of this is he's defending himself against these false teachers who said, we're better than Paul. And Paul goes through in chapter 11, gives all the reasons why He has more superiority to them. He says, and I hate doing this. I hate the fact that I have to brag about what I'm doing for God, but I feel like I have to do it, just so you understand. And one of the things they attacked him for was that, well, Paul has never had very many spiritual experiences. So Paul starts with this in uh, chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. But I must go on boasting. He says, I don't want to do this, but I got to do it. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ. He's talking about himself in the third person. He's he's talking about himself. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Third heaven means presence with God. Doesn't mean like really high. It just means in the presence of God. Whether I was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. Only God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in or out of the body, I don't know. Only God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man cannot utter. On behalf of this man, I will brag, but on my own behalf, I will not brag or boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. In other words, what I'm saying is real, but I'm going to refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited, Because of the surpassing greatness of these revelations, and it happened more than once for Paul, a thorn was given to me in the flesh. In other words, a physical ailment. A messenger of Satan to harass me, and that's a hypothetical thought too, to keep me from being conceited or arrogant. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast even more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, 
persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So like we do here at Grace Life, we like to look at each passage with three different applications. First is the cultural application. What was going on at the time? What was happening? What were people feeling? What were they thinking? It's important to understand that if you really want to understand what to do with the passage today. And I've entitled the cultural application of this passage, A Weak Apostle. And we see Paul's visions there. And, and because false teachers had attacked him for not having spiritual experiences. And he hates the fact that he has to prove his resume to these people. But he continues the track, recalling the vision that God gave him to reach the Gentiles. And I'm just going to break down for you why I know that's the vision he's talking about. He says, I know a man, literally he's speaking about himself. He says, I know a man who was snatched away. And Paul speaks of himself in this third person because he wants to avoid the personal glory of the event. He's trying his best to brag about it, but not brag about it in a way that makes it look like, oh, he's in love with himself. He says, I can't be sure if it was a trance or I was actually caught up to God's presence in the body. I don't know. And because he had a lot of rabbinical training, a lot of uh, religious training in Jewish culture, the third heaven would simply indicate meaning the presence of God. Now, we know this, that 2 Corinthians was written in 57 A.D. So 14 years earlier would have taken it back to around 43 A.D., which ironically is the very moment of his departure from Jerusalem to Antioch, where it says Gentiles became believers in the first time ever they were called Christians. This was actually the moment when Paul was sent to be the apostle to people that aren't Jewish, Gentiles. Matter of fact, in Acts chapter um, 22, verse 17 to 21, it says this, When I had returned to Jerusalem and I was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance. And saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they're not going to accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believe in you. How can I go there? And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And God said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Timing-wise, this is the revelation or the vision or the moment that Paul is talking about. He's actually talking about the very dream that said, go and preach the gospel to people like those in Corinth. And he had these glaring weaknesses. Because false teachers, one of the things they'd attacked about him also was his weak bodily appearance. It was apparently something he was a relentless victim of. Matter of fact, that some of the things they said is not only is he not religious enough, he's not a good public speaker, and he's feeble in body. Those are some of the things these false teachers were saying about Paul. See, this specifically leads me to believe that whatever thorn Paul is talking about, it seems like it was evident to everyone. Like it wasn't a secret. It's not like it wasn't a thorn that was covered up by his, you know, polo shirt. It was something that was very clear. How can you follow this guy? He can't even talk. And he even has these ailments that clearly everybody can see. And this is the one you're trusting your life with? See, false teachers would only point to what God did because of them. Never celebrate how God worked despite them. 
And so Paul has this glaring weakness, this thorn, and he points out that the weakness given to him was to keep him from being arrogant about these visions that he had had. He says, I had these visions, but God wanted to keep me relying upon him, so he gave me these thorns, this thorn in the flesh, this struggle. Guys, this wasn't some sort of sinful, habitual habit that Paul had. It wasn't about a struggle with immorality or something like that. It was definitely some sort of physical ailment that kept him humble. Based upon the attacks of the false teachers, we know it had to be visible. Some speculate this physical ailment was a result of, some speculate, I, I saw this in, not in the scripture, so I can't prove this is, hype, this is hype, you know, I'm making a hypothesis here. I looked at some uh, outside of the outside of biblical references and, and some other things, and it seems to me that some speculate that this actual physical ailment may have been a result of some of these visions he was having. Maybe it's the one uh, where he came to God. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Where he was blinded and knocked down, and God says, Paul, why do you fight against me? But either way... Paul was pleading for God, please take this physical. I could do so much more for you if you would just take this ailment away. But God kept it in place to remind Paul of where his strength really lies. So that's the cultural side of this passage. The next part is the spiritual side. What does God do and why and how does he do it? I'm going to talk about necessary weakness. Paul shows, see, this is a really good sermon. You better listen because... <laughs> Yeah. Right when I start talking about the theological, spiritual part. <sighs> Pay attention. Paul shows all he has accomplished was supernatural. By the hand of God and not by his own strength. Remember, he had suffered and accomplished incredible things. He had these visions, his ridiculous travels. Remember last week he talked about he was shipwrecked, what, four or five times? At one point he drifted at sea for a day and a half. He'd been beaten. He'd been in prison. He'd starved. He'd been sleeping out in the cold sometimes. He went through all of this, all these sacrifices by a frail man in a frail body. How else... Could something like this happen with a man like him unless God was involved? He explained that the purpose of this thorn was so that the gospel wouldn't be overshadowed by him. Basically, what he's saying is this. The gospel I preach has more credibility because it's not founded upon how strong I am. That's why he says, I want to boast about my weaknesses. That's what makes my message better than the false teachers. So we see here that he is protected by weakness. He says in verse 9, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. You see, many would teach that our suffering is a result of sin. I mean, there could be earthly consequences that we suffer because of sin. But in Paul's case, his suffering was actually, get this, I'm going to blow you away. His suffering wasn't because of sin. His suffering was to protect him from sin. Think about that for a minute. His suffering was to protect him. Can you imagine how bad of an apostle Paul would have been had he not been in suffering? Well, if he didn't have this visible weakness... 
Maybe he doesn't write as many letters. Maybe he doesn't travel as Maybe he gets in one place and he gets a big enough following and he's tempted to stay. But what happens is this made Paul thankful for his frailty. Even to this point, get this, he was even at some ways dependent on his frailty. As it forced him into reliance upon God. So that's the protected by weakness part. Then I'm going to talk about being strengthened and being strong by grace. Without this, Paul would fail to understand the role of grace in his life. It created a reliance on the very thing, guys, get this. It created a reliance by him on the very thing he was asking everyone else to trust. It gives new light to this idea that he wrote about earlier in this book in chapter 4 about jars of clay. And he says that in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, 11. I'm just going to read it to you. We did a whole sermon on this, but I'm going to read it again because in light of the fact that he had this frail body, in light of that fact, he wrote this earlier. So clear it was on his mind. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be shown in our body. See what he says? We are carrying this suffering so other people can see life. For we who live are always being given over to death or suffering for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Paul learned to celebrate. Get this now. Paul learned to celebrate being a weak jar of clay. He was stunned at how God could make broken jars of, get this now, because I worked really hard on this phrase right here. You better like it. Paul was stunned at how God could take broken jars of clay and allow them to hold living water. These broken, feeble jars of clay were the very things that God used to take the message of hope and life and grace and strength and redemption to those who needed it. It enabled him to accomplish amazing, thing, amazing things that a strong Paul would never have been able to accomplish. Matter of fact, strong Paul would probably never even be interested in these things. But weak Paul was. Okay, so let's talk about the personal side. The joy of not being good enough. And this is our, our uh, social media campaign from this week. God never works because of anyone, including you. I was actually writing that to myself. I'll tell you, proving my worth as a pastor is exhausting. I'm just being real with you. It's a job that never ends. The comparisons to other pastors, local and celebrity pastors in other places, searching for affirmation, Engaged in this ridiculous, relentless thing called self-promotion. Then masking my weaknesses to you. That's a big, heavy job. Trust me. Then there's the pressure that the gospel success might rest on my skill or my intellect. And frankly, that thought is just frightening to me. 
Can anyone relate to this, or is it just your pastor that feels this way? See, this is how the world forces us to interact with it, even when we're doing God's work. Let me tell you about a story. This is a funny story. So there was a time that there was a pastor in town who had stopped preaching the gospel. And they were preaching this thing called progressive theology, where Jesus is a way but not the way. And they were kind of taking the gospel and twisting it and and trying to substitute it with a new, more palatable, modernized, culturalized gospel that everybody could embrace. Which is the exact same thing that Paul was ripping on in Corinth. So I went with another pastor friend to go see this pastor and hear face to face, person to person. We hear this. What's really going on? He was a nice enough guy. And we were asking him, but then he made it very clear. He says, I want you to know something. I'm the smartest person in this room right now. I'm the most educated person in this room. You know what I thought? Dude, you got no idea who you're talking to. I am brilliant. Yo, dog, let's talk stock market derivatives. Come on now. Let's talk about volatility algorithms. Let's go, bro. Chess match right here, right now, you and me. Come on. I'll throw down, playa. Scrabble, come on. Pick your game right now. I'll take you down, smarty pants. I didn't say that. I was thinking all that. Very loudly thinking it in my mind. The other pastor I'm with just starts laughing. You know what he says? Like, it made me angry first, and then it broke my heart. He says, you know, you're probably right. I'm not smart at all. He goes, I was a horrible student in seminary. I hate reading. I had a terrible GPA. Matter of fact, I was abused by a kid or abused when I was a kid. I've been kicked out by a couple churches. You know what that does for me? And he says this right in this meeting. All that stuff makes me glad that people in my church don't have to trust my trust their soul to my brilliance. Or yours. I said, man, that was brilliant what he just said. I wanted to challenge a guy to chess, and he was saying, you're right, you're a lot smarter than me. But I don't have to trust your brilliance. I just have to trust Jesus. So I want to talk about confidence in the flesh. I want to talk about how comforting the concept is that I don't have to worry about being used by God because of my own strengths. Because my weaknesses teach me that I am helpless and hopeless if God doesn't work in spite of me. Because using someone like Joe Davis, if that's not proof of grace in my life, then nothing is. And I have, and I want you, this is when ministry really gets fun for me, and I, I'm trying to capture it. Words can't really describe it, but I'm going to try. I have these moments of deep, surreal comfort when I realize my kingdom tasks are too big for me anyway. It's a strange peace, guys, knowing God never works because of me, but constantly has to work despite me. Because what it does is, is it gives me this comfort in weakness. I'm comforted in weakness. And what it does is it gives me an awareness of our need for grace or my need for grace. You know what else my weaknesses do? They inspire me to have courage 
to abandon trying to be great and run to grace. It gives me awareness that, man, I am not what I think I am. And number two, I better be brave enough and courage enough to run to the grace that I desperately need if I want God to use me. To me, guys, listen, that is the greatest evidence of all that God is dwelling in the heart of a person. And frankly, sometimes I'm overwhelmed that for some reason, because of grace, and I don't get this, but for some reason, God gives me this ridiculous, undeserved, humble privilege of being involved in his process of saving people. What? The gospel's credibility in thrives in how weak I am. And how weak we are, rather than how strong or polished we are. Paul says this in this passage. Therefore, I will boast even more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses. Okay, did you hear what he just said? For the sake of Christ, if it wasn't for Christ, I would not be content with weakness. But because of Christ, I'm okay with weakness. I'm also okay with being insulted because of those weaknesses. I'm also okay with hardships that result from those weaknesses. I'm also okay with persecutions that result because of those weaknesses. I'm also okay with calamities that I experience because of those weaknesses. Because why? When I am weak, then I am strong. With all this in mind, this is what I learned this week and what I hope we learn as a church today. And that's this. Without weakness, our lives are graceless. You know what else? Our ministry is feckless. Without weakness, our ministry is feckless. That means powerless, a waste of time, superfluous, surfacy. Meaningless. Without weakness, our ministry, whether it be individuals or as a church, will be feckless. Because don't you understand? It's weakness that shows people the strength of grace. Nothing excites me more than when I see somebody who's gone through hardship in their life because of their own sin or whatever is happening, and then God transforms their direction, their mind, their heart, their values, and changes them into an incredible servant of God. And not because they are great, it's because they were weak and God made them strong through grace. Guys, let's face it. Nobody wants to hear about grace from people who act like they don't need it. You follow me? Who wants to hear about grace when people say, well, this is what you need, but I've got my stuff together, dog. Look at my new shirt. I'm put to, it is a new shirt, by the way. <laughs> look at my house. Look at my family. Look at my job. Look at my bank account. You need grace. I'd rather hear it from, listen, I was lost, and now I see, or lost, found. See, I'm weak. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. See, I totally messed that up. But because of that, I want you to see I'm so, as a pastor and as a follower of Jesus, I'm so comforted by my weaknesses that I can't tell you. 
This week, it brought me to moments of tears of joy. Just being relieved that I don't have to be great. I just got to be weak. Because what I'm learning is that God uses these weakness to force me to rely on grace and to give the message of grace credibility. Dad, we're weak and we're proud of it. We're thankful that in our weakness, you make us strong by grace and forgiveness and redemption. Lord, make us okay with weaknesses for the sake of Christ so that our message can be validated in its ability to transform us.